0: everybody back into down the line as always I'm Carson Brabber and today we are a couple days removed from the finish of the Australian Open so figured we might as well talk about it given that this is a tennis podcast made sense to me so I think obviously the biggest storyline that we take away from this is Rafael Nadal walking away with his 21st Grand Slam separating himself from Roger Federer and Novak Djokovic who are both sitting at 20 for the all-time record and doing so in really spectacular fashion. 5 hours, 24 minutes against Daniil Medvedev, comes back from two sets to love down. Truly, an all-time physical and mental accomplishment here because, obviously, we're familiar with the ongoing injury issues that have plagued Rafa for really the last decade, but he was apparently considering retirement last year, and He had missed three Grand Slams since his last Slam title, and the dude is 35 years old. And I really do think it's worth reiterating how insane that part of it is because we do just normalize the longevity of the greatness of the big three, but Rafa just became the sixth oldest Slam winner of the open era. I mean, it is genuinely remarkable that he is still playing at this level. And again, we treat it like it's a little bit more normal because Fed did the same thing, and Novak is doing the same thing right now. But this is insane, coming off of a major injury like what he dealt with. And the guy is just truly an amazing champion. I mean, I don't know what more needs to be said about the fighting spirit of Rafa Nadal, but this epitomized it. This is his first time coming back from two sets down to win a slam title. Obviously, this is one of the longest slam finals in tennis history. And there were moments in here where a mere mortal probably would have just laid down and died he's down two sets to love two three love 40 in the third set and that's a point where 99.9% of people are losing that match and Rafa is just obviously the 0.1% he is one of probably two guys in history alongside Novak Djokovic you look at in that spot and you think you know what they really might still find a way to do it so Again, I just think it's a remarkable testament to his greatness and obviously it plays a major role in the greatest of all time conversation because now he's obviously the front runner again at the French Open and so if he takes a two slam lead, sure, Djokovic could have raced that this same year winning Wimbledon in the US Open where I think he'll certainly be the strong favorite. But nothing is certain when you're talking about guys who are 35 years old, which is what Novak will be later in this year when those slams are taking place. So a two-slam lead at this point really does matter, even if it does feel like Djokovic is still playing the better tennis and is the best player alive and would have been the favorite in three of the four slams this year had he been there at the Australian Open. doesn't matter because he wasn't there. And so, again, you can't just give Rafa the French. Won't do that. He didn't win it last year. Novak beat him but he will certainly be the favorite. So that is huge for his goat case, obviously. Probably nothing gets brought up more in that conversation than just your simple slam count. I believe that Novak Djokovic is the greatest player of all time, and I've really laid out the argument for that enough, but I just think if you look at the all-around greatness, regardless of surface, beating your contemporaries, success at the slams and the masters, weeks at number one, I think he has the most compelling overall case, But there is a case for Rafa Nadal because, obviously, he's lost out on some opportunities to go out there and win slams because of health, but he has the most. He has the second best Grand Slam winning percentage of all time, just ahead of Novak by like less than half a percent, and trailing only Bjorn Borg, which is just a reminder of that man's greatness, obviously. And he also now joins Djokovic as the only man in the open era to win every slam twice, which I do think really matters. And... He's made every slam final at least five times like Rafa Nadal, although I do think obviously his case for the greatest ever is more predicated on dominance on one surface certainly than Novox is. I mean, what an unbelievable all-around tennis player as if that needed to be said, but he's 0.01% behind Djokovic for the best win percentage of all time. So I don't think this is decided, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I think that Novak right now is the front runner for me even though he's now a slam behind and I think that he is in the best position to continue to extend his case when you factor in health when you factor in who's been playing tennis at the highest level when you factor in that he is still a year younger than Rafa he should be the guy who finishes on top of the mountain but I do think there is still a world in which it's Rafa I do not think there's a world in which it's Roger Federer anymore a couple years ago I would have still given him that nod because He still had the raw slam count. He still had such remarkable longevity, obviously, and still being a top five guy in the world like he was at 38. Just remarkable. But I don't think we're really going to see much more resume building from him at all here, given how absent he's been, how much health has played a factor. He's 40 years old. I think that he is going to end up definitely three out of three. And I think... You could probably argue, and maybe I would, that he's already there. But we'll see, man. I mean, this is going to go down as, obviously, in my opinion, the best, greatest of all time race in sports history that I'm aware of, at least. And it's dudes who are all playing at the same time. Just unreal. And props to Rafa for adding another notch in the belt there, winning a tournament that he hadn't in 13 years. Just remarkable. And obviously the consequences of Novak Djokovic's absence really do set in here. Because obviously, no grand slam is ever guaranteed. But if Rafa were to miss the French, well, you would think, boy, that's a slam that Rafa would have been the overwhelming favorite to win. And I'm not saying Novak is quite on that level at the Australian, but he's the closest thing. I mean, he's won three straight. He's won eight of the last 11. So to miss out on that opportunity is devastating for his all-time case It means that once he drops his points from last year, he'll probably lose world number one to Daniil Medvedev. Going to be really tough to end the year as world number one when you get zero points out of a slam when that likely would have been 2,000 or at least 1,200. So it's just utterly devastating. Obviously, there's a lot of focus on how he is perceived as a person because of his actions and for good reason. They were bad actions and that makes a lot of sense. But when have we seen a personal decision that could potentially have this kind of ramifications on the all-time standings in a sport? I certainly cannot think of one because, again, Novak would have been the overwhelming favorite. He would have been the overwhelming favorite to remain world number one this year, and now I think that has really been thrown into question, and weeks at world number one to me is one of the biggest stats that matters in the greatest of all time conversation, and I just think it has to be, right? It's the mark of consistent greatness. And Novak already, I think, has a record that will probably never be broken there. Never is a long time, but it's a pretty large lead over what previously seemed like kind of an unbreakable record by Roger Federer after what previously seemed like kind of an unbreakable record by Pete Sampras. But like, I mean, he could have easily gotten 400 plus weeks by just holding serve as world number one throughout this year. So It matters in so many ways for the all-time conversation, and Novak Djokovic, even absent major story of this tournament, and I will say from a tennis perspective, it's obviously devastating to not see him there. I mean, it sucks. I think that even if you're a Rafa fan, you want to see him beat Novak Djokovic, right? Just like if you're a Novak fan, and last year at the French, he's going to win his second title there. You'd like to see him beat Rafa Nadal to do it. It's just special. It means more. There's no asterisk. And I'm not saying there's an asterisk on this because Novak has won slams where Rafa was absent in recent years. But it is a bummer, I think, objectively as tennis fans. So that's really a big picture takeaway from this. But I think we also need to talk about the man who was actually in the final opposite Rafa and lost, obviously, in Daniil Medvedev. Because it's a devastating loss for him, I'm sure. But I think it was another testament to how great of a tennis player he is, especially on hard courts right now. I mean, that dude fought in this match as well. He was down set points in the second set. He had to break to get back into that. He was down a mini break in that tiebreaker and kept fighting, obviously. Last three sets, he was very competitive. And you look at a really big missed opportunity for him, I think. 3-2 in the fifth set. He has three straight break points and Rafa serves out wide to his backhand every time, and he couldn't get any of those in play. That's just devastating to me. But, I mean, he breaks back down 5-4, and he was in it every step of the way. The guy really is unbelievable. And he actually talked about in the press conference after where he wasn't really disappointed with the result, he said. There were a couple moments that he would have liked to have back, but I think that that's a testament to... Obviously, the fact that he is fantastic out there and he ran up against Rafa Nadal who just was kind of determined to win on that day. But Medvedev, the consistency that we have seen from him and the peaks that we have seen from him on hard court over the last three years, made the finals in three straight slams on hard, made the semis in five of the last six, and since he broke through US Open Swing 2019... He's 117-25 and on hard. And that includes a weird slump in 2020 when he was losing early in a few small tournaments. But that's an 82.3% win rate. Unreal finish to 2019. Unreal finish to 2021. And U.S. Open swing of 2020. I mean, he still goes out there and wins a couple big titles, including the year-end finals. So, again, 82.3% win rate on hard over three years now like Rafa's career winning percentage on heart is 78.2 Novak obviously the best all time is 84.3 a couple percentage points higher but like you sustain this for a career and it's a top five winning percentage of all time on the surface obviously that's harder to do than it is for three years but that's a long time to be winning at that rate and he's got three Masters 1000s on hard in that time. He's got the Tour Finals. He's got the US Open. He's got three other Slam Finals. The dude is just phenomenal. And I have been saying, obviously, I think he's the second best hardcourt player in tennis. I would still give him a slight edge over Rafa. You know, maybe if it comes to a Slam Final, there's just a different component of physical and mental endurance where we've seen Rafa get him twice in those five setters now. But I think that he's better on the surface. Really, with him, it's just going to be about putting it together on grass. And obviously, Clay, I think, is the biggest challenge for him stylistically. I mean, he's 15 and 21 in his career on Clay, which is just inexcusably bad for the number two player in the world. But I don't know how a guy like him, who hits the ball as flat as he does, is really going to figure that out ever. But if he could, just to the point where he's winning like two thirds of his matches on Clay. The guy's a bona fide world number one, and I don't think we should compare anybody else from his generation to him right now. I know Zverev had an unbelievable year last year. I know Tsitsipas had a really strong year, and those guys are better all-surface players, significantly better on clay, better on grass, I would say, even than Medvedev. But the level this guy can reach on hard is enough for me to just say he's a different kind of player, and he's just done more. He's beaten the big three more consistently. He's the one with the slam title. He's the one who's been to four slam finals now. He's the one knocking on the door of being world number one. He's the one who I trust mentally. And I just think that he's on a different level. I will say on that mental front, obviously a lot was made about some of the Medvedev tantrums where obviously he got really upset at the Cherump during his match with Sitsipas, for allowing Tsitsipas' father to consistently coach him during points. Listen, I don't know how you could disagree with that point. I think everybody who's watched Sitsipas play enough tennis knows that that is a ridiculous thing that continues and persists. And then there was also an instance in the match against Rafa where he was talking to the ball kids about how he wanted them to like distribute the balls and then talked with the champ about that and he got booed for that. And... I think that my stance on this is pretty consistent, right? I am not one who harshly judges people for how they conduct themselves on the tennis court. I think that you're looking at people who are in the heat of competition and some of the most stressful and important moments of their lives, and they have millions of eyes on them. And again, the guy is launching fair complaints here. Is he doing it in the most polite way? Maybe not. I just don't think that's how you judge somebody's character. Like, Watch how gracious he is after the fact. Watch how he talks to the press. Like, listen to how he talks about other people, how he talked to Djokovic after their last slam final. I just think those things matter more. And even still, obviously, we're not getting a full lens into who Daniil Medvedev really is, but I don't think he's a bad guy. I understand that he's going to be the villain of tennis after Djokovic. That's fine. I think he's also going to be the best player in tennis until one of these guys from the next, next generation really asserts himself. Like, again, Medvedev is just the best of his generation. And it'll be a fun dynamic, in my opinion, watching him win a handful of slams as not only a guy who is not aesthetically beautiful to watch play tennis, but a guy who is also obviously not the most gentlemanly always out there on the court and has embraced being the villain before. I think that's going to be hilarious to watch go down. But he also talked about at the beginning of his press conference in really like a monologue of a few minutes that he gave how he felt like the kid in him that had dreamed about achieving these great heights in tennis had died in that match against Rafa because it seems based on context clues of how adamantly opposed to Medvedev The crowd was. And it was obviously an absurdly pro Rafa group, and definitely, I would say, was a bit disrespectful towards Medvedev at times. And that really bummed me out to hear. Obviously, as a pro athlete, you have to deal with whatever animosity comes towards you from the crowd, you need to be able to handle that mentally. Novak Djokovic has done it for more than a decade and has managed to in spite of that become again in my opinion The greatest player in tennis history and lord knows he has gotten it many more times than Medvedev But nevertheless, I mean that just makes me sad because again We kind of impose these passing judgments onto these athletes I don't like you because you're not my favorite player. I don't like you based on this one action and they're human beings and they're trying to achieve their lifelong dreams and it would be nice if maybe at least a third of the thousands of people there in person were on their side. I can definitely understand and empathize with that. And his takeaway was basically, I'm going to start playing for myself and my family now. He said that if there were a tournament in Moscow going on at the same time as a slam, he would go play that. So it was really interesting insight, honestly, I thought, into his mind. And at 25 years old, to have sort of this revelatory moment about what really matters for him in his career I think it's interesting because clearly he's never going to be the fan favorite I mean he's never going to get the worldwide acclaim he is never going to be the hero unless I suppose he's playing in Russia obviously and it seems like he really came to that understanding here even though I'm sure it's been clear to him plenty of times before so it's a bummer to hear that the kid in him Died again. I do think that's pretty sad, but to have the perspective of, well, hey, I'm just going to go do this for myself, I think is interesting. And I wish that he had taken some questions about that. He did not want to, he sort of just left it as it was a little bit ambiguous. But I thought that was interesting to hear. So, unbelievable final. I mean, that's where the focus will be here. Again, I didn't do a mid tournament episode, and I apologize for that, guys. I just don't know if I'll be able to do as many pods this year as I have historically, very busy. But other than that, I thought it was awesome to see Yannick Sinner, Denis Shapovalov, Felix Sojial Yassim, all of them in the quarters. Fantastic for the young generation. That's three straight slam quarters for Felix now. I mean, he is clearly playing the best tennis of his life in the biggest spots, which is awesome. But I thought Denis Shapovalov was... I mean, the most impressive out of this bunch. Felix also took Medvedev five bef- when he did go out, which was really impressive, but Chapo took Rafa five in what was a phenomenal match, and the round before that beat Zverev in straight sets, and it was just such a joy to watch. I think when Chapo was on like that, I mean, it is big strike tennis. It is big serve, finish the point on the next shot, unbelievable power in, pace, and depth of the ball consistently. I thought his energy, his movement was exceptional. He was finishing points at the net. Like, I don't know how you can watch him play a match like that and think that dude isn't going to be world number one. I understand he should be more consistent and better than he is right now, but good Lord, he is a talent that comes through once every few years. Like, the guy is just so phenomenally gifted. And outside of those three, Alcaraz also went to a fifth set tiebreak with Berrettini so really great tournament for the Young Bucks all those guys playing at a high level and if they can take another collective leap this year boy how fun would that be dude I mean if we still have Rafa and Novak at their quasi peaks and maybe we get a little bit of fed this year hopefully and we have obviously the Tsitsipas, Varev, Medvedev Baratini, rublev tier and then we have these guys like knocking on the top 10 door and breaking through there whoo that would just be oh so much fun contending for slams even i don't know is that too much to ask not me i'm a dreamer so there you have it those are kind of the big takeaways from the men's side on the women's side i mean it's just another ash barty special man good lord just unreal tennis from her in the final against danielle collins down five one in the second set down five 30 love and just kept fighting and just found a way and I've talked about this before obviously but there's just a blend of steadiness and the ability to mix up pace and the soft hands that she possesses that nobody else has she is such a complete distinct solid excellent tennis player and you know I continue to think hey Maybe there are people with higher ceilings, Naomi Osaka and whatnot, who I picked to beat her in this tournament, but Ash Barty's won two of the last three slams now, and this was utter dominance, dude. She was pretty much challenged in one set all tournament in which she was down 5-1, and she found a way to come back and win. She lost an average of 4.3 games per match. Just come on. Like, that is absurd, and... She only has three slam titles, but she's now won every slam but the U.S. Open. That's another thing. She's so complete regardless of surface. I mean, that slice just bites, obviously, on a faster surface, on grass, but she also has the heavy topspin game. I mean, she's just unbelievable and maybe hasn't been as consistent slam to slam as you might expect from a world number one, only has six quarters in total. And obviously, we're still relatively early in her run as the top player in the world, even though it's been so consistent for these last two years. You know, she hadn't resurfaced all that long before then. But she's still more consistent than everybody else. I mean, women's tennis right now is just topsy-turvy all over the place. And then there's Ash Barty who comes in and is this stabilizing force and is just better than everybody else right now. She is. She should be the favorite at every slam, regardless of surface. She is clearly the best women's tennis player right now, and it is up to somebody else to dethrone her and I don't know if anybody's gonna do it I mean again I remain a believer in Osaka but the burden is on her and I am done picking against Ash Barty that's all I'll say she is dominant she is a very 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 legitimate world number one and there's a gap between her and the field and women's tennis right now so that's really the main takeaway I think just reaffirming that status as far as Collins her run to the final Really impressive, of course, coming in there doing that as a 27 seed and had a really great convincing win over Sviatek, and obviously is talented. We saw her in the Australian semis back in 2019. We've seen her in another slam quarter before this, but does this make me think that something has permanently changed as far as her status as a player? No. She's been a very solid top 30 kind of talent, and it's just a little bit tough to get super up in arms and excited about a one-off slam result in women's tennis right now. I mean, it feels like it is more the norm, more the expectation that somebody wild is going to make a run to a semi or a final than not. And it's great to be in that club, but again, it's not really going to permanently change my perspective and be like, oh my goodness, is Danielle Collins decisively breaking through? I think we've seen enough odd results to where we don't need to have that conversation every time anymore. The other main storyline, I think, from the tournament is Naomi Osaka coming back and obviously did not get the result that she wanted, lost in the third round to Amanda Nisimova in a third set tiebreak. This, for me, was exciting in some ways because although I love Osaka and am a huge proponent of her talents and think she should be an all-time kind of player, like double-digit slam winner, I've also been a huge Amanda Nisimova fan and she had a rough year in 2021, but I thought played some phenomenal tennis in this one. And Osaka had her chances. She had a match point. She won the first set here. But ultimately, my takeaway was more that Anisimova just displayed some unbelievable shot making, played a fantastic match point with her back against the wall when she needed to, and was just dialed in and was just a better tennis player. And at twenty years old, I'm really hopeful. That she can build on this and have a great year. Had a good win over Benchich in the match before this one. So I'm really hopeful and I'm still definitely a believer in her talent. Other than that, you had Pagula in the quarters. You had Madison Keyes in the semis, both of whom were just dismantled by Ash Barty. Anissi Mova was taken down by Barty as well. Just mowing down the talented Americans. No major long-term takeaway there, but those are a couple of fun and talented players who I like to see do well. And yeah, it's always, obviously, a lot of fun to have a Grand Slam. Hot take. I wish that we had Novak Djokovic on the men's side. I honestly just really selfishly wish that we could have seen Osaka do something significant on the women's side. She's just the most fun, entertaining player in women's tennis right now. But still, good tournaments overall. Nick Kyrgios won a doubles title. Good for him, I suppose. That guy can just kind of do whatever he wants, in my opinion. And we'll keep this year rolling. Obviously, a bit of a quiet stretch coming up as we get into the Golden Swing, and then you have Dubai, we'll have Rotterdam before then, we'll have Acapulco with Dubai, just the kind of weird month of February. And then we get to Indian Wells, which I will be able to attend again for the first time since 2019, which normally I'd gone to pretty much every year of my life, was planning on going in March 2020 and then the funniest thing happened. So all of that to look forward to. Let's be excited. Again, may not keep exactly the once-a-week cadence with the podcasts, especially maybe not during this stretch where not a ton of exciting stuff is happening. But be sure to continue to check in and obviously reflect when big stuff like this happens. Because tennis history was made this past weekend and Rafa Nadal is unbelievable and he deserves the utmost credit so there you have it this could be a really fun year i think if we get health really historic stuff is on the line and boy i would love nothing more than a rafa and novak race to the top this year that would be so much fun so pray on health pray on no more vaccination visa issues goodness gracious and let's have our best tennis players out there on the court so With that, everybody, as always, hope you've enjoyed. I've been Carson Brabber. This was Down the Line.